Well, hold on at last. Yeah. Why didn't he plant the bomb in Trisha's stove? <laughs> <laughs> Think of all the needless suffering could have ended right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys like you don't die on toilets. Anyway, I'm here and I'm not planning on going just now. Okay. On on three, huh? What do you, what do you say? Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. yeah. One. Two. Wait, wait, wait. What? What? Uh, do we do it on three or, or uh, do, do it one, two, three? Then do it. Well, it's your ass, Cochise. I mean, it's up to you. We go on three. A three on three. One, two, and nine. Three. three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What? 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 Yeah, I know. I know. Oh. I hear you. Under the Diplomatic Relations Act, no diplomatic agent may be detained or arrested. Once his identity has been established, this stinks, this stinks. I don't give a f Riggs. That's why I don't have an ulcer, because I know when to say I don't give a f Now, here's where he's staying. It's a nice hotel. All the expenses are being picked up by the Justice Department, so enjoy yourself. And Riggs, one more thing. You know what that says? Yeah, yeah. Same thing as that. But I don't give a f How do I know it's the police? After I shoot you through the door, you can examine the bullet. Open up. Easy, don't you want to see a badge? Don't do that again. Okay, let me see a badge. Shut up. Okay, I get it. Bad cop, good cop. Shut up. Okay, okay, okay. Bad cop, bad cop. This is thin, Riggs. This is very thin. Is anorexic? Because you're black. You are. Of course I'm black. That's why I want to go to South Africa. To join up with my oppressed brothers. To take up the struggle against the tyranny of the racist, fascist, white minority regime. Fascist white regime. One man, one vote. One man, one vote. Free South Africa, you dumb son of a You dumb son of a I've heard just about as much as I want to. Hey, diplomatic community. It's just been revoked. Welcome to Sweep Delay Podcast. This is your host with the most, Mike Macmastunas. How's everybody doing today? I am doing great. I know you're like, you just released an episode. It's true. I did. And now you're getting another one. How exciting is that? It's true. Today is Lethal Weapon 2. This is just like two days after I released Lethal Weapon 1. I'm on a roll, I know. But truth of the matter is that uh, after today, my week is very, very packed, busy, and no podcasting will be done. So today is my only day of doing it. So therefore, I am delivering. So uh, I only got one email for this episode. I know it's kind of short notice, but hey, one email is better than nothing. So when I record Lethal Weapon 3, you guys go ahead and send a crap load of emails in for Lethal Weapon 2 and Lethal Weapon 3. And uh, it's going to be some good times today. As you guys know, I mentioned in the last episode that Lethal Weapon 2 is my favorite of the whole entire series. This is the one that I love absolutely, uh, wholeheartedly, and I can't wait to talk about it. And most of all, find out, is this the better film? As I kind of mentioned before, there's a difference between um, finding a sequel that is your favorite, but is it truly better than the original? There's few that are, you know, Terminator 2 is obviously a million times better than the original. 
And, uh, you know, we'll have to see where Lethal Weapon 2 fits in. I have taken the uh, the initiative to uh, really criticize the movie and see does it hold up and is it just as awesome as the first one, is it better? And I can't wait to talk about that. But before we do, uh, even though we just had some movie and music news in the last episode, I have just a little bit that I want to talk about before we get into Lethal Weapon 2. So before we do, let's roll into some quick movie and music news. I would swallow my pride, I would choke on the rinds, but the lack thereof would leave me empty inside. Swallow my doubt, turn it inside out, find nothing but faith in nothing. Wanna put my tender heart in a blender, watch it spin round to a beautiful oblivion. Rendezvous, then I'm through with you. I burn, burn like a wicker cabinet. Alright, so kind of interesting, surprising news today is the fact of Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters, is going to be getting a sequel. Now, if you guys remember this, this is the movie that stars Jeremy Renner, which was made prior to him being in the Avengers, and it kind of sat on a shelf for a little while, and then they decided to release it after the Avengers got big and people knew who Jeremy Renner was. And uh, it uh, surprisingly did well for being thrown in January. And I guess it made enough money to where they're like, okay, let's go ahead, let's make a sequel. So I've never seen this film, I'll probably catch it on DVD, but it was a little bit funny to hear that they were planning on making a sequel to this film. So if you're a fan of this movie, great, I bet you're excited there's going to be a part two. If you didn't like it, well, hey, hate to tell you, there's going to be a sequel. So uh, other news that I found today... Now, uh, X-Men 2 was a movie that I really enjoyed, and probably the biggest reason why I enjoyed it was the fact that Nightcrawler was in this movie. And I really enjoyed this character. Nightcrawler was a lot of fun, and Alan Cummings is the guy who played Nightcrawler. Now, it's been kind of rumored or wondering if he was going to show up in the X-Men First Class sequel, because, you know, they're pretty much bringing back almost everybody, and one of the big fan favorites is Nightcrawler. But he was never in Part 3... And it was kind of like, well, what happened? And then if you actually played the X-Men video game, it kind of explained what happened to his character. Well, he has said that he is not coming back for the sequel. He said, uh, I'm not disappointed and I can't deny. I think, uh, you know, I, he basically is saying that he's proud of the character and he's proud of what he did. But he, had, he can't go through the terrible and grueling makeup edition that he did again. It was just too much for him, and that's why he didn't want to be Nightcrawler in Part 3, and why he won't want to come back and be in the uh, X-Men First Class sequel. So all of you guys that are wondering, it's true. He is uh, officially confirmed he will not be in the film, which is kind of disappointing, but I think I can live with that. 
All right, now, we uh, do have another rumor on the premise that we need to talk about and discuss. Now, keep in mind, this is strictly a rumor. Nothing has been confirmed. So here's the deal. Uh, The uh, Oz, you know, the movie that just came out, the Oz, uh, great and powerful franchise that they're planning on making. Well, they don't want James Franco to be in part two. And the talk is, is that they're going to have Robert Downey Jr. replace him instead and get a whole new director and uh, possibly get Gilmore, uh, uh, Gilmore del Toro uh, to do the uh, you know filmmaking, you know the director, all that fun stuff. So of course this is just a rumor. Don't take it seriously. Uh, would be kind of funny to see Robert Downey Jr. take over in this franchise, but I think he's good enough. You know he's got the Iron Man franchise. He's going to be in Avengers two. Who knows what's going to happen after that. I seriously think that this is a crap rumor just like the Nolan Batman, uh, you know, Superman rumor. But let's just take it with a grain of salt. At this point in time, it's strictly a rumor, so don't hold your breath or anything like that. And finally, the last story that I want to close out with is uh, Sean Claude Van Damme or John Claude Van Damme, however you want to say it. It's going to be an Avengers 2. Of course, this is probably another rumor, but here's what the man had to say. Uh, it was my pleasure to meet with Mr. Stan Lee, creator of X-Men, Incredible Hulk, and Spider-Man back in 1994, along with Mr. Samuel and Mr. Uh, Victor Hadia, because they show you a picture of Van Damme with Stan Lee, so on and so forth. Uh, I read that Chris Helmsworth, star of Thor and brother of Liam Helmsworth from The Expendables 2, would like me to co-star in the Avengers 2 movie. Well, it would be fun to play one of these types of amazing comic book characters again. By the way, I'm a big fan of Marvel superhero Silver Surfer and also another heroic fictional character known as Doc Savage, the Man of Bronze. So, again, I'm assuming this is a rumor, so take it with a grain of salt just like the other one. But this one's a fun rumor. I kind of like this one. It'd be kind of cool to see Van Damme in, uh, you know, Avengers 2 because, you know... After Expendables 2, I mean, this guy this guy is just so much fun. I mean, is he a terrible actor? Oh, yeah, of course. Is he worse than Batista? Oh, hell no, he's not. Batista is terrible. Uh, like I said, that whole Galleon, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy bit, I totally am not excited about that. And Avengers 2, of course I am. I don't think they can jack things up. I seriously doubt that Van Damme will be in Avengers 2. It's a fun rumor. It's something to talk about. It would be interesting, though, that if it was for real that they did cast him in this movie, what he would play, who he would be, and could he pull it off? I mean, he definitely has acting chops if you watch uh, uh, JVCD, came out in 2008, where it was kind of like him playing himself. I mean, he definitely uh, can act. He's never really had, he's never really been given the material he needed to act until I saw him in that movie. Then I was like, oh my gosh, that was awesome. But most people never seen that movie. So most of them know him from Bloodsport and all the fighting movies. So most of them just think he's just a a fighter, not really an actor. Now, you know, is JVCD an Oscar-nominated performance? Of course not. But it was definitely uh, more range than he ever did before in any of his other movies. I like In Hell. That was another movie that was like, wow, that was pretty good. Um, there was also uh, Replicant, I believe, where he played a evil version of himself, kind of like Double Impact, but it was more hardcore. 
That was pretty awesome. He does a really great job of being a bad guy, so I think if he was in the Avengers 2, I'd want to see him on the bad side of things, because I really hated him in The Expendables 2. He did a really good job, so those are the fun rumors for movie news. Now, uh, let's get into some quick music news here. Now, as we all know, especially the people that listen to the Underground Hour, Timberland is definitely somebody that is a huge fan favorite in the STL land. Uh, he's the most requested artist on the Underground Hour, and it was really fun to play in the last episode doing the Night Rider track. So Billboard uh, had uh, basically created an article that uh, since Justin Timberlake's came back, did the 2020 experience, going to rave reviews. I heard some of the tracks are really, really long and people are loving it. They did uh, because, you know, arguably the best collaboration that Timberland's ever done is with Justin Timberlake. So what they did is they created like a top 20 of the best hits that he's ever done. And uh, so starting off with number 20, and some of you guys are probably going to know this and probably agree. You have Oops, Oh My, uh, which is with Tweet. So uh, she's an R&B singer. Uh, number 19 is Summer Love with Justin Timberlake. Number 18 is Make It Hot, which is uh, Nicole featuring uh, Missy, Misdemeanor Elliot, and uh, Mocha. Then you have number 17, which is Make Me Better, which is by Fabulous featuring Neo. Number 16 is Get Your Freak On, which is Missy, Mister, uh, Misdemeanor Elliot, which that's a crazy song. I didn't even know he was in that. Pony, I hate this song. This song sucks, man, but... I can't help but the, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it sounds like somebody's burping the whole time. Oh, the song is sucks so bad, but yet I every time it's on, I listen to it, but I hate it at the same time. Then we have the classic Dirt Off Your Shoulder, Jay-Z, flipping a great tune, especially love the version with Linkin Park. It's awesome. Now, this sucks. Number 13 is Cry Me a River. I mean, come on. We just played that, and... You know, I'm just one of the guys. That's my favorite Justin Timberlake song. I love this tune. How can it be number 13? This song is amazing. Number 12 is uh, Give It To Me. Timberland featured Nelly Furtado and Justin Timberlake. Now, Nelly Furtado and Timberland definitely made an awesome song. Um, Promiscuous, you know. So if you're definitely in those kind of tunes, that's a big hit. I'm sure it's going to be on this list. But I think this is the second time Timberland... uh, did a song with Nelly Furtado. Then you have number 11, which is 4 Minutes, which is Madonna featuring Justin Timberlake and Timberland. So then moving on to the big list here, which of course would be the top 10. Now keep in mind, you know, some of these he probably produced. He wasn't necessarily in the song, you know, so you got to kind of keep that in mind. So number 10, Hot Boys with uh, Missy Elliott, with Nas, Eve, and Q-Tip. Number 9, What Goes Around, Comes Around, Justin Timberlake, of course. Say It Right, Nelly Furtado, number eight. Number seven is My Love, Justin Timberlake featuring T.I. Number six is Try Again, Aaliyah. And this song is amazing. I love this song. Aaliyah was great. This is a great song. I love this tune. This is from the Romeo Must Die soundtrack. Number five is Work It by Missy Elliott. Number four is Sexy Back. I'm sorry, man. I think this is the worst song that Justin Timberlake has ever made. I cannot stand this song. Like this, oh, I'm sorry if you guys like this song, but for me, this song is the worst thing he's ever done. I could take even InSync's first album over this song. I mean, this song sucks beyond belief. I can't stand this one. Ugh. Number three, the way, the way I are. Timberland featuring Carrie Hilson. 
Number two is Promiscuous, which doesn't surprise me that it's number two. And number one is Apologize, Timberland featuring One Republic. And uh, the reason why that one's number one, says Timberland's biggest hit to date, is a downcast alt-rock anthem. As crazy as it sounds, R&B hip-hop specialist delivered his most successful Hot 100 track when he teamed up with One Republic and frontman singer Ryan Tedder for a track buried at number 16 on his Shock Values album. Although it never made it to the number one spot, the song enjoyed a 47-week run, uh, week run on the top 100. So those are your top 20 uh, greatest Timberland songs ever. So that's kind of for you guys in STL Nation. I know you guys are a huge fan of this guy. And I thought you kind of wanted to know that was a pretty cool article. So that's it for uh, movie and music news. So we got a lot to talk about on Lethal Weapon 2. So let's quit jacking around and let's get into it. Let's talk about Lethal Weapon 2. Who in? Police, open up. How do I know you're the police? After I shoot you through the door, you can examine the bullet. Open up. Mel Gibson. Danny Glover. Come on, let's go, Roger. Oh, no, we should go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on, Roger. Don't be a killjoy. Right, come on, we're back. We're bad. You're black. I'm mad. Come on, man. Hey, 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 listen. If we're going, shouldn't I have a gun? No. no. Now, get ready for something lethal. I'm surprised you haven't heard about me. You know, I got a bad reputation, and sometimes I just go nuts like now. <laughs> because the magic gun is back. Watch out the window, no. You all right, man? Yeah, I'm okay. Where were you, man? You're my partner or what? Why didn't you follow me down? Yeah, why didn't you follow him down? Shut up! I'm seven floors up! Lethal weapon two. You go first. I'm really chill for this. You go first. I'll cover you. Eeny, meeny, miny. Hey, Mom! Good police work, officer. Come on. No. Back to my place. Hey, I'll even cook. You're lucky. I have to live with that. You're not gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. You know, there's not enough room. You were right, you know. Yeah, there, there wasn't enough room. Lethal Weapon 2. This time, they're not taking any crap. Just get off me, man. I don't want anybody to see us like that. Oh, where were you? I just said that. I'm not eating this. Alright guys, Lethal Weapon 2. Now as you guys know, I am so excited to be talking about this movie. This is, uh, I, I think I probably rushed through number one just so I could get to this one. Because you guys have heard me mention before that number two is my favorite. I mean, as John the Mailman likes to say, it's a one-two punch. You know, for me, they could have ended and never made a three and four. And I mean, that would have been like the two best movies ever. I mean, in my mind, as far as uh, as far as cop films go anyways. Uh, just because I always thought that number two kind of peaked, I never thought that three and four were trashed or it took the series down. But, uh, you know, we will definitely get there when we talk three and four. But for me, this is the movie that I just was so excited to get to because I have such fond memories of this film. I just watched it again 
and I got even better stuff to talk about. And I watched a director's cut, which uh, I don't think I've ever seen a director's cut. So it was so much fun. So let's get into the basic plot of this film. Now, this one, again, is uh, directed by uh, Richard Donner. Thank God. And I think I'm, I am I can almost 99% say he directed 3 and 4 as well. I think he did all of them, which is pretty awesome because Richard Donner did Superman and he did part of Superman 2, but never did Superman 3 and 4, you know, and uh, it's just so awesome that he did this whole entire series. This one, as I said, came out in 1989. So you have good old uh, Riggs and Murtaugh back, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover. But uh, you have a few additional people added, mostly Joe Pesci, uh, which is, uh, oh man, I, I can't wait to talk about this guy. But Leo, Leo Getz, which, uh, I mean, right off the bat, this guy should not work in this film, let alone in any film. But because Joe Pesci is the guy that does this, he makes this annoying off-the-wall character just work, which we'll definitely talk about in just a little bit. So here's the deal. Here's the essential kind of plot. Uh, this time around, uh, the boys are dealing with, uh, you know, you're in a sequel, and talk about raising the stakes. They're dealing with uh, some South African drug dealers who are basically hiding behind diplomatic immunity. So for those of you out there who have no idea what that means, it means they're untouchable. And... What better what better bad guy can you have than a bad guy that you can't touch? They can go around and do whatever the hell they want, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, this movie had a budget of $25 million, and this sucker made $227 million. I mean, it's crazy. So for those of you who probably haven't seen this in quite a long time, here's essentially what happens in the flick. So you start off, and you got uh, Martin Riggs, a.k.a. Mel Gibson. You got Roger Murtaugh, which is a.k.a. Danny Glover. And uh, they're starting off the movie in a car chase with other LAPD detectives. Really fun way to start off the movie. Lasts for a little while, but essentially, after a few minutes, the abandoned car crashes and they go and search the abandoned car. Now, they find a trunk full of gold. Now, in the movie, uh, due to the accents and the way they say it, I may be saying it wrong, but I believe it's called uh, uh, Krugerrands, which essentially are illegal to import into the U.S. at the time of making this movie. And it leads to the conclusion that these criminals are from a certain part of uh, South Africa. So later that night, our main bad guy of the film, um, Arin, um, is he's a minister of affairs for the South African consulate. Now he orders his head of security, uh, Peter, to basically go to Murtaugh's house while uh, him and Trish are sleeping basically ties him up, warns him to cease the investigation around the Krugerrands. You know, if not, uh, things are going to get bloody. So, of course, uh, they do so. Uh, and in the wake of the attack that happened on Murtaugh and his family, you know, Riggs and, and uh, Murtaugh, they uh, are reassigned to protect the federal witness. Basically, the captain's like, you know what, due to what happened to you guys, you know, um, they know it's a crap job, but it's to kind of give them a break because of how serious it is. And of course, uh, luckily, the family you know that we've come to kind of love from part one kind of gets moved out of this film. Now, luckily, they come back 
in part three and part four a lot. But for this movie, you only really get them in the in the very beginning, and then after this situation, they're gone, which is a great thing because it sets up for a lot of things that are going to happen in this film. So it's kind of a crap job. They get reassigned to protect a federal witness, which is Leo Getz, played by Joe Pesci, who's this loudmouth, ridiculous accountant. Okay, 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 okay. I mean, it's just priceless, Joe Pesci. And uh, he decided that he was going to blow the whistle on his money laundering clients. So, therefore... That's why he got into federal witness protection. So while Murtaugh and Riggs are basically hanging out in the hotel room, an assassin poses as a room service guy and uh, enters in, tries to kill Leo. But of course, he if you guys remember the scene, he falls out the window with Leo and Riggs. Uh, and then uh, you eventually find out that uh, Leo uh, was formerly laundering funds for these same drug dealers so leo uh, leads them to the smugglers base of operation which is this really awesome looking house built on stilts it's really awesome looking and uh, riggs recognizes the assassin from the hotel and he tries to make an escape by stealing this tow truck parked outside of the house and uh there's this real crazy um, scene, you know, traffic scene where Riggs jumps onto the back of the tow truck and uh, Murtaugh and Leo, they're trying to chase after Riggs and uh, and the suspect. And of course, this kind of sets up the even crazier uh, traffic scene uh, car chase that we're going to get in part four. But we'll get there when we get to part four. But like I told you, this series plants seeds, builds on them, all that kind of stuff. Now the uh, car chase ends uh, really crazy where a surfboard goes through the guy's face. So uh, uh, Riggs and Murtaugh, they return back to the house. This time they got full backup with detectives and un- uh, you know ununiformed officers, you know, like the undercover kind of guys. And uh, they're going to attempt to arrest the rest of the gang that are in the house. So then they get confronted by uh, Arjun and the members of the uh, of the South African consulate. Now, uh, one of the guys, Peter, um, recognizes Riggs, but before he goes any further, he invokes his diplomatic immunity on behalf of himself and his staff, uh, and say, you know, my dear officer, you couldn't even give me a parking ticket if you guys remember that. I think that's in the trailer. Essentially, it's like, okay, these guys have diplomatic immunity meaning that they can't be touched. And, you know, Riggs doesn't really question why this guy said Martin Riggs. He goes, yeah, how do you know my name kind of thing. Uh, That'll come into play later on in the film. Now, of course, the captain orders the guys that they have to leave these guys alone. So Riggs infiltrates the consulate building while Murtaugh creates a distraction and and catches uh, the name Albavardin, a name that appears uh, familiar to Murtaugh. He just doesn't. He just can't place it though where he knows this name from, because uh, you know these guys. Even though they're told not to do it, they got to find a way to kind of sneak around and and still kind of break or bend the bend the rules, bend the law, if you will. Now Riggs, uh, he starts to openly harass Rudd, uh, which Rudd is uh, Arjun. So we'll, you know, Rudd is a lot easier than Arjun's real name, I guess. But uh, he starts to harass him doing lots of funny stuff but he also finds his secretary which uh, her name is Rika Um, she's the uh, secretary to Rudd Uh, she uh, strongly dislikes her boss and the country's policies so that's kind of what 
kind of draws Riggs to her. I mean, number one, he thinks that she's really cute, but she just, you know, she needs a job kind of thing, you know. So Riggs invites her for dinner at his trailer, and, of course, they end up sleeping together. So there's a lot of growth between uh, number one and this one in regards to where he's come along with his relationship of his dead wife, which we'll get into details in a little bit. But let's just say this is girl number two. Now, um, fed up with Riggs, uh, Rudd, what he does is he orders... Uh, his main guy, Peter, to brutally murder the LAPD, the detectives that were all investigating him. And uh, luckily, Murtaugh was guarding uh, Leo at the time because technically Murtaugh should have been in the place where the uh, cops blew up at. So Murtaugh, he's viewing an old birthday video and learns that the Alba Varden is actually the name of a ship that currently is, uh, is docked. And then he realizes that uh, Rudd is planning to use the ship to smuggle in uh, these billions of dollars that he has in drug money. He's going to take it back to Cape Town. Now, uh, Leo, of course, uh, this is when the movie kind of takes a dark turn. He gets kidnapped uh, from the uh, from Murtaugh's car because he went in the house. He's going to go check out the video, but he told Leo to sit put. So, of course, they stole Leo because he was unguarded. And uh, they try to kill Murtaugh, but luckily he takes him out with a nail gun, which was just such good times. Now, uh, Riggs and Rika, you know, they're they're having a good time. And then all of a sudden the trailer gets blown up. They're getting attacked. Uh, there's like these uh, machine guns, two helicopters, and the place gets shot up, but they manage to escape. Now, uh, what he does is he takes Rika to her house thinking everything's going to be good. You know, lock the door, all that kind of stuff. Now, after he leaves her, you know, thinking everything's all good and dandy, he decides to take off. And that's when he gets knocked out by Victor's men. Now, uh, Victor, you know, confesses that, uh, you know, your wife, she didn't die in a car accident. She was actually murdered uh, because they thought he was in the car and they murdered her by mistake. So, of course, that totally changes the whole game plan. And uh, Riggs, you know, uh, the reason why they were going to kill him is he had gotten too close to their drug operation. And that's essentially why they uh, they were sent to kill him. Instead, killed her instead. Uh, it's just It totally changes the whole game plan of the first movie. But uh, luckily, there's a little trick that was used in the beginning of the movie where he's able to dislocate uh, his shoulder. So when he's thrown in the water, he's able to dislocate his shoulder, get out of the straight jacket, and then essentially take on uh, the remaining guys and, uh, you know, basically call Murtaugh and just say, you know what, I'm not a cop tonight. They killed both of them. You know, and uh, Murtaugh's just like, no, man, you can't do it. You can't do it. You know, and then he hangs up the phone and he puts down his badge. I mean, he gets real deep real fast. And the reason why uh, he said he killed them both is at, when he was underwater, he found Rika was drowned in the same, you know, basically underwater. And uh, that's what made him snap after he dislocated his shoulder and stuff. So, and uh, he mentioned that he's going to go, you know, Riggs is just like, I'm going to go after them. And I'm not a cop tonight, and they're going to die, and that's basically it. So uh, they decide that they're going to meet at the Stilt House, and uh, Murtaugh heads inside to rescue, you know, Leo. Uh, 
because Riggs basically says, you know, wait for my signal. How do I know what your signal is? Don't worry, you'll know it. Luckily, Riggs, uh, luckily Murtaugh and Leo get out of the still house just in time. But we'll talk about that. But essentially, Riggs uses his truck to dislocate the stilt, which by dislocating the stilt causes the house to collapse. And it's such an awesome epic scene. And, uh, you know, Murtaugh learns that the Alba Varden is uh, supposed to leave for South Africa the next day. So they know where to go, that they got to go to the dock and uh, stop the guys. So they enter this cargo container and they discover that this thing is filled with like, I, I dare say, billions of dollars. I mean, it's ridiculous the amount of money that's in here, but it's all the drug money that's supposed to go back. And uh, they, uh, they, they get trapped in. And there, uh, there's this car in there. It's a Mercedes. So they use the car up in the air to bust open the container. And of course, it takes out all the millions or billions of dollars. And then Riggs and Murtaugh are just having the fight of their life. They got to strap down this. Uh, they got to you know kind of grapple down. And then when they grapple down, go into a firefight, kill all of them one and one, all that fun stuff. So of course, you're gonna get the big fight between Riggs and Peter. And man, is it a good one. If you thought that the Gary Busey fight at the end was great, you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, there's this brutal hand-to-hand showdown. And uh, it's just, uh, it eventually turned out to be where Riggs drops a cargo container on this guy, crushing him. It's just awesome. And then, uh, of course, Rudd appears from uh, the balcony of the Albert Varden and shoots Riggs. Or, yeah, shoots Riggs. You think he's dead. Murtaugh draws his gun, does the cock of his head, and the guy's like, diplomatic immunity. And he shoots him right in the head and says, it's just been revoked. And then you see Murtaugh go to Riggs. You think he's dying. And they joke. And uh, that's kind of how the movie ends. Oh, so flipping good. I love this movie. Can't wait to talk about it. Oh, man. I, I can't say enough awesome things about this flick, guys. I mean, number one, let, let's just put this out there. This movie takes Everything from the original movie makes a better story, better bad guy. I mean, number one, the this bad guy is untouchable. This guy can break the law, do whatever the hell he wants because he has diplomatic immunity. So what kind of bad guy is better than a bad guy you can't touch? Which is why the bad guy in part three is so weak because uh, he... He's not even close to being as awesome as, as these bad guys. Now, of course, part four, that's a different story because you got Jet Li. We'll talk about that when we get there. But number three is, for me, the weakest of the series because of how weak the bad guy is compared to this guy. But, uh, you know, we'll talk about that when we get there. We're talking about number two right now. But just as comparison, you have a better story. Because it's just, it's continuing on from the first one. It's more, it's action driven. It's got more drama in it. It's got more WTF moments like killing off police officers and stuff like that. It has another dark turn. You have additional characters added like Leo Getz who should no way, shape or form work. This guy should be annoying you, but instead you're laughing at everything. It's kind of made the chemistry even stronger when this guy's around. And then, let alone the chemistry between these two are is so deep, it's not even funny. I'm going to talk about how deep it is when I get there. Uh, the villains are great. They're way better than the villains of part one. Um, it, it, this movie just built on so much. I think you could say maybe the weakest part 
is the fact of the family, Murtaugh's family, is only really in the beginning of the movie and then they're gone, but they're gone for a good legitimate story reason. They're not just gone because, oh, we forgot about them. It's a legitimate reason why they're out of the picture because if they were in the picture, they would they would have been dead. There's no way they would have not been dead based on the things that happened in this film. So let's get there. Let's talk about it from the beginning. Here we go. Can't wait. Okay, so this movie doesn't start off with a Christmas song. So this movie definitely does not place during Christmas. This movie starts off, you get Lethal Weapon 2. All of a sudden you see screaming, you see punching, you see Mel Gibson going ecstatic over a car chase and you just see Murtaugh rolling his eyes. It's a brand new car, his wife's car, and you just hear Riggs saying, can we go any faster? And he's like, no, we can't go any faster. And he's just swearing about how fast he's actually going. And then you have, uh, they switch to the captain and the other cops talking about uh, who's out there, who's in the car chase, Murtaugh Riggs, let's do a bet. He goes, I got, you know, who's driving? And then when they find out that uh, Murtaugh is the one that's driving a new vehicle, you hear the cops say, no, bet's off. I didn't know anything about the wife's station wagon being in this car chase, you know. So already stuff's already getting real funny from the beginning of the film. But, you know, you had a crazy beginning opening of part one with the suicide. This one starts off with a crazy car chase. I mean, right off the bat, this is how you're starting the movie off with an amazing car chase. And it's funny because at one point, Riggs is out of the vehicle, uh, chasing the vehicle down just like he did in part one. But they make it even better because he gets back in the vehicle, tells Murtaugh to move over, and he's driving. And what does he do? He jacks up the car. And it just becomes funny when he's like, yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, You know, I was way too close. And you just get the evil, dirty look because Riggs just messed up the car and everything like that. Everything's happening to this car. Windshield's getting hit. It's getting all scratched up. It's terrible. And it's just such a great way to open up your film. You got the funny jokes where you hear the guys talking on the radio and they're like, well, hey, it's a Japanese maybe, uh, Japanese radio. Maybe they own the LAPD too because they hear this accent. They just can't kind of place where it's from. Of course, these guys are from South Africa. But, you know, that's in the trailer. You know, the uh, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Stop yelling at me. And then he scratches up the car and he's just like, yeah, you know, you're right. I wasn't going to make it. Uh, That's in the trailer. It's kind of an iconic scene. It's something that it's one of those scenes that you think about when you think of Lethal Weapon 2 is uh, Riggs jacking up the car and just kind of laughing. And you get the dirty look from Murtaugh. So I just love the opening of this. It's a great way to start off a sequel. Uh, and it's just, it's really funny, really engaging. And again, kind of slaps you in the face and tells you get ready for a ride. Okay. Now after the car chase is over, we kind of get set up for what's going to happen. Not only later on in this film, but actually later on in the series. And that's the one, two, three where Riggs says one, two, and then he goes on three and Murtaugh doesn't actually know what to do. And then this will kind of be called out later in part three. And he's like, where were you? You were backing me up. I thought we were going on three. No, we never go on three, you know, so on and so forth. Now, of course, uh, we get the introduction to the arm dislocate. Now, of course, this wasn't in part one, which is perfectly fine. You know, I don't really see any scene in part one where this kind of information would have benefited versus in this movie. You know, at first he's using the arm dislocation as far a bet, 
but later on in the film it comes into play because it actually saves his life so i'm fine with them introducing something like this because you know usually in sequels you have to introduce something new something fresh but the cool thing is is that they use this later on in the series you know in number three i think he uses it in number three or number four i know they use it outside of this one so it's not like it's just made strictly for this movie and he doesn't use it again but i like the arm dislocate thing it's funny the cops kind of think he's you know i mean they know he's crazy but they just kind of like man how'd you do that how'd you get out of a straitjacket i've never seen nobody do that and he explains it and uh you gotta love the uh psychologist being there again which really is her only appearance in the film but i love it when he's like uh Hello, Mrs. Uh, Sigmund Fraud, you know, it kind of builds the relationship a little bit differently where you can tell that they have a speaking relationship now. And why do you do this to yourself? Well, I need the money and nobody else will let me do it to them, you know, and she just kind of smiles. It's like she knows that he's kind of at a better place uh, in, you know, uh, mentally physically you know obviously well not maybe physically but at least mentally he's in a better state than he was at the end of part one and you can kind of clearly tell that just by that little mini conversation that they had there now before i move on from the dislocation scene there was something that again you know i've seen this you know dozens of times and really kind of hit me is if you notice immediately when this scene starts and and Riggs is in the straitjacket if you they sh- they put the camera on Murtaugh and he's already smiling and he's laughing so clearly behind the scenes he already knows that Riggs can dislocate his shoulder and he already knows that these guys have just lost their money I like that because if you just pay attention to the background, you'll see him laughing the whole time and just kind of looking around at the other cops and just like, you guys just lost your money. I thought that was a pretty nice touch, actually. Okay, so Rianne's commercial. Now, this is really more for comic relief, but at least it's a scene that will play, you know, kind of come back a little bit here and there. And that's essentially where uh, you have the family. They're all around. Uh, it's kind of a continuation of part one. You know, he walks in and he yells at Nick for having his feet up on the furniture. Again, the kids are a little bit older and still Murtaugh has to yell at Nick about his feet on the furniture. You actually have the youngest daughter trying to not go down the stairs but jump over the banister. So I still like how the family is real. You know, this family is real. They talk to their kids about stupid stuff that kids do that usually most parents don't deal with in movies, you know. Just the little things of don't run down, you know, go down the stairs or get your feet off the furniture. That stuff's missing in these kind of in movies nowadays. You know, I really dig that. And just, you know, he's embarrassed because he doesn't know the kind of commercial that Rianne's in. And he's like, with this crowd, I hope you don't stink, baby. Because now the whole force is watching because Riggs had to open his big mouth. But I love it how he's eating tuna. He gets yelled at. You know, they kill dolphins. And then Riggs has a funny line of, yeah, eat Miss Piggy instead. And he gets slapped in the face by Rianne. And uh, I just really dig this part because after you get the commercial, of course, uh, it's, you know, it's a condom commercial. So everybody's dead silent. You have Murtaugh trying to cover the eyes of the little girl. And uh, they shut it off. And nobody says a word. It's silent. And the best part is after the video's over, his little girl said, Daddy, 
You know, we learned about this in human development. Human development, what, what, Trish, Danny, Danny, chill out, you know? And it was just so funny. And, of course, Riggs is just like, dude, chill out. She was great. You know, she was beautiful. And then you have the guy introduced, which is the carpenter, where he's building on another room. And earlier in the film, he had a nail gun. And that was kind of them being introduced to the nail gun. And, again, it's another scene that's going to pay off later, which is pretty awesome. And uh, he's like, what, man? She was beautiful. She made me want to buy rubbers now. And then later on, that joke is said again by uh, Leo. And it's like the commercial, even though it's somewhat comic relief, it still has a point later on in the film where it kind of comes back. And it's like, oh, yeah, you remember that commercial she made earlier in the film? Well, let's bring it back and kind of make you remember, hey, you know, the family is still kind of in the picture, even though you're not really seeing them on screen. So I really dig this whole thing. And the best part was afterwards because George is kind of Rianne's uh, boyfriend now. You know, she's doing very good after her gray area from part one. And, uh, you know, Murtaugh's just like, George, I got a gun. Leave my house, you know. And you just see Riggs just like trying to comfort the two. But this is how you know that Riggs is part of the family. When he's walking Rianne out the door and telling her, you know, as a parent, you need to be home by this time, you know. And it's like he's now like the second dad, which is pretty cool. It's like there's so much development in Riggs being part of the family. I mean, he is part of the family, as you'll clearly see uh, later on when he talks to Trish about uh, about a pen, you know, which we'll get there in just a little bit. But I, I just love this scene because it's just, you know, it's one of the only family scenes we get, but it's still just a great and fun scene, really. Okay, so then we get introduced to the bad guy. So we have Peter, which has this really awesome accent. I mean, even though he's a bad guy, he just, you know, uh, just cop off. You know, he just has this really awesome, I just like the way he talks. He has really bad broken English, but yet you can still understand him. And then, of course, uh, the main bad guy, which would be uh, Arjun. Uh, played by uh, Josh Acklin, which um, Josh, not Josh, but Josh uh, Acklin, kind of like Josh Sweden. Uh, you're probably going to know this guy. I mean, this guy has been in a ton of movies. He's been in like over 130 films. I would say uh, you'll probably remember him in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, he was in that film. Uh, that, that was kind of a fun film for him. Uh, the Hunt for Red October. Uh, he was also in uh, Shadowlands. It's like a, t- a TV uh, show that he was in. But uh, I would say Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is something that uh, is kind of a, f- a fun role that he was in. But uh, these two are pretty effective. Well, I shouldn't say pretty. I should say very effective. I mean, these two guys, they're untouchable. So you have Peter, who's uh, definitely a guy who knows martial arts, as you'll see towards the end of the film. He's kind of, he's very intimidating. And I would arguably say he's more intimidating than uh, than Gary Busey's character, just because this guy, he really, I don't know. There's just something about him that makes him a little bit more, I mean, number one, he has the balls to kill a cop. And Gary Busey, I think, would have to be, I don't know. It it just seems like this guy is more badass than Gary Busey's character. I may be wrong on that, but Arjun, the old guy, I mean, this guy, he just, he has a presence on screen that is just kind of, kind of demanding, if you will, which just instantly makes him more of a threat 
than he was before. I think it's probably because, you know, he's untouchable. So he automatically kind of gets that cred of being an awesome bad guy. But just the way his presence is on screen, he's just way more intimidating. So these two are amazing bad guys, way better than the bad guys of part one. And the fact that they're untouchable gives them that much more leverage of just being total awesome. So I, these two bad guys, they were really good times. All right, so as I mentioned, this is the director's cut. There was two scenes right off the bat that were a little bit different. Uh, you know, before the commercial, before Murtaugh drives home, his car's all messed up. You have a guy showing up, kind of giving him a crappy hood, mentioning everything's on order, everything's on order. And then you have the pool scene where they go to meet Leo and it just, I don't ever remember this scene where Mert, or Riggs goes up to the ladies in the pool and just kind of doing some sweet talk to him. And you kind of already get the feeling that he's definitely come to peace uh, as best as he can, at least, with the fact of his wife being dead. But he's trying to move on. And it's just, it's pretty fun. I don't actually remember him just being in the pool scene and them talking about how great the hotel is and everything like that. So it was a pretty fun scene. I definitely dug it. Now, um, going back a little bit here, uh, the pen scene. This is uh, essentially after Rianne, you know, is on her date. And you see Riggs. He's cooking. You know, you could tell that he's been a part. They don't actually say how long this has been from part one. But you can clearly tell that uh, Riggs is in a way better place. And uh, his clothes are always done there. He's cooking uh, with Trish. And they're just talking. And she finds a, a, a pen and he just kind of blows it off and doesn't really want to talk about it. And then when he said, yeah, it was, you know, the night that uh, Vicky died. And she's like, well, I didn't mean to push. And he goes, well, we never really talked about this, did we? And, you know, it's a really great scene because you get backstory, you know, about how uh, he was supposed to meet her for dinner. And he totally forgot about it. She drove home. She got into a car accident. I, I lost it. Uh, my head hit the ground. There's the pen that I had been looking for. And I used the pen to sign her death certificate. And uh, it's just kind of a constant reminder of her, if you will. And then, of course, Murtaugh comes in. Yeah, you know, Trish found a gold pen. And then they just kind of smile at each other like it's a secret between those two that Murtaugh will never know. And that's kind of cool. I dig that. But what I really enjoy most is how... He was so much cooking and just it just was so natural for him. So it's like it's like he lives there now, you know, and it's just he's part of the family. And that's that's awesome character development to go into the sequel to just a completely different character. And it's just really awesome and touching stuff. All right. So uh, Peter's guys show up and uh, they put tape on Murtaugh and Trish and uh, you probably wonder what we do with your kids, huh? And he goes, don't you be a smart copper. You know, and I can't, I can't do it like that. I mean, but he sounds awesome. But, uh, you know, they're like, you got to, uh, you got to back off or, or there'll be blood. And, uh, you know, they, they, the kids come in so they know that they're okay. But Merton Riggs try to figure it out. And uh, I, I just, I like the way that Peter talks, man. It's definitely intimidating. It's definitely cool. But you have this scene to set up that uh, for the rest of the film, the family won't be in there because uh, they their lives have been threatened. So uh, they've been sent away. And even the carpenter, 
who has set up the nails, the nail gun that you're going to need later on in the film, but you don't wonder where his character went. Well, why isn't he in the film anymore? Well, you know, they even call out and say, well, I even gave the carpenter a week off because I was feeling generous. So they introduce all these things in this film and they pay it off. They don't ever leave anything like, let's introduce this and we'll totally forget about it. I really enjoy that in this film. I really didn't find anything that they introduced and then didn't bring it up later or anything like that. Now, uh, I want to talk about the captain. You know, I kind of talked about him in the first one, uh, the good old uh, captain that uh, he has. He's in this film a lot more than he was in part one. And what I really dig, uh, he has a really great scene where uh, he's trying to tell the guys, look, you're being reassigned. You got to go help and uh, protect a federal witness. And they're like, well, this is a this is a crap job. He goes, it's not a crap job, you know, and. Uh, he goes, this is why I don't have an ulcer because I learned to say I don't give an F, you know. And the best part is, is when Riggs is smoking and the captain's like, Riggs, what does that say? Oh, same thing as that, which on his desk says no smoking and his door says no smoking. So he goes, the same thing as that, but I just don't give an F. And he throws it back at him. And I just love that, man. It was hilarious. I love that line. I think that's probably the best line of the whole entire film is this is why I don't have an ulcer because I just don't give an F. It's just so such priceless talk. I don't know why I just I thought that line was hilarious because it's true, man. Sometimes you just got to have that attitude. I just don't give an F. And it's like, ah, you just feel so much better. You can just breathe and just deal with stuff. So I don't know. I just I love the captain. He's just so blunt and says the craziest things. And then, of course, Riggs throws it back at him. And that was just priceless. All right. So our boys go and meet Leo. And I love this introduction. You know, I already kind of talked about the pool scene. But immediately, how do I know you're a cop? Well, I'll shoot the door and then you can examine the body. And you just kind of see Murtaugh uh, laugh. But what I love is, is the fact of it seems like these two have done this before. They just walk in and he goes, oh, okay, bad cop. He goes, shut up. And the other one says, shut up. Okay, bad cop. You know, and then he like touches them and then he gets slapped in the face by Riggs. And both of them have this pissed off look on their face where he's like, okay, bad cop, bad cop. And here's the thing I love about Leo. I don't know, some of you out there may think it's annoying, but I absolutely love it every time he says, okay, 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 okay. It's great. I mean, granted, he does say it a lot, but there's something about the way that Joe Pesci plays this role. He can be so, this is such an over the top, ridiculous crazy character that works it's one of those weird phenomenons where it's a character that shouldn't work but does work and helps bring the movie you know it makes it even better if you will you know as much chemistry as as Riggs and Murtaugh have whenever Joe Pesci is added in there uh, it definitely it doesn't make it better but it just makes for great uh, c- comedy. It uh, kind of makes for good drama, if you will. Uh, I don't know. There's just something about Joe Pesci's, the way he does this character, that just makes the scenes with all three of them just so priceless. All right. So, uh, of course, we're in a sequel. So things got to be kind of bigger. Now, uh, there's one scene where you're kind of like, okay, uh, you may have an issue with and that's the one where they go out the window now unlike die hard five where they just jump out the window and they have no idea what the hell they're doing i'm sure Riggs didn't just say let's go out the window there's gonna be a pool there 
and I'm the way it looks, if you really pay attention, it looks like he's trying to stop the guy, but he slips and falls on the table. Therefore, they go out the window. So he wasn't intentionally trying to go out the window versus like in Die Hard 5. They're purposely trying to jump out the window. It just is like, okay, thank God that uh, pool was there or the movie would have been over. And I just love Riggs when he's like, man, well, you're my partner. Why don't you follow me down here? You're five stories up, man. It's like this scene should not work, but it just does. You know, there's just something about the way that it's just done where it's just like, okay, that was so cool and that was so funny. And you don't really like uh, have any where you lose your uh, disbelief, you know, your suspension of disbelief. It's like you can go along with it. You know, in Die Hard 5, you probably can't go along with that scene. But in this one, you can. It's the flip side of the coin. So when they're in the pool, you finally find out, what's the deal, Leo? Why are these guys after you? He's like, what? All I did is I just did some money laundering of a half a billion dollars. Half a billion dollars. And that's when uh, you see the guys, um, you know, they're, they're talking and they get the inside scoop on how the money laundering, how the money laundering thing works. And uh, it's pretty interesting, and I, I like this scene because they're having such a good time together. You know, there's a lot of scenes where they're very annoyed with Leo, but I like the scenes where they're actually enjoying his company and just like, not bad, Leo, or he has a good idea. Those scenes are always nice because it's a, the flip side of the annoying coin, if you will. So I just, I dig this because it kind of sets up that, hey, this guy isn't 100% annoying. He's actually pretty cool, and he really does have a, a big heart. But he's kind of a scumbag at the same time. You know, it's it's nice. And, of course, the best part is when, uh, let's go. Let, let's go find this this house. And uh, you just hear Riggs. You know, Murtaugh's like, no, no, we can't. He goes, you know, uh, we're bad. You're black. I'm mad. You know, can I have a gun? No. You know, it's in the trailer. I love that line. It's one of the best lines of the whole entire film. And uh, I just dig it, man. It's good stuff. Now, quote me if I'm wrong, but I think this is new where they're trying to figure out the where this house on stilts is, where he's like, well, this is my lucky number. And you, you have the two guys talking. Well, you know, he's just full of crap. And then Leo comes back and says, it's got to be this because I remember this number and this number. I'm not sure if this is in the real movie or if they just like if they just say that line of, yeah, this is our ninth try. I think this part was cut where they're actually showing him trying to figure out the house number um you know i can see why it was cut but it was a nice addition to watch because it was kind of like it made a little bit more sense how they were kind of able to track down the house on the stilts and of course you have the famous line come back which is the only time you hear this in the film and it's uh very thin and of course it's if this is a deleted scene that's unfortunate because they say i don't know Riggs. this is very thin and then he goes, yeah, it's anorexic trying to find the house. So if it's in the real movie, that's great because the very thin line transfers over from the first movie onto this. But if it's only in the director's cut, that kind of sucks and you don't have the very thin line again later on in the film. So that does kind of blow. So I'm hoping this scene is part of the regular film. But like I said, I haven't seen the regular version in forever and I watched the director's cut. But, you know. I guess it is what it is. Okay, so we get the uh, the car chase. 
this chase is great. You know, we had a car chase in the beginning. This one, this one's a little bit crazier because, uh, you know, Riggs uh, jumps on uh, the vehicle and he's trying to get in and he actually gets attached to the front of the vehicle. Now, this scene is kind of uh, reminiscent in number four where they, they do some crazy stuff in number four. We'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, I like this. I think the car chase in the beginning of the movie was more effective because it just it had action and it had comedy. This is just pure action. Now, I do have one problem, though. Uh, during this scene, Leo and uh, Murtaugh, they're behind Riggs. You know, Riggs gets on this vehicle and they decide to jump in the vehicle. So they're at least a good 15 to 20 seconds behind Riggs. Now, during this chase, Riggs loses his gun. Now, how is it that Murtaugh and Leo just randomly stop the vehicle and find the gun? I mean, granted, guns aren't the smallest things in the world, but they're not the biggest either. And if you're about 15 seconds behind, they never would have actually seen Riggs drop the gun. So I just kind of always wondered how did they see the gun unless they were kind of traveling slow enough to where they noticed it. But it's a minor problem. It's a nitpick. It doesn't drop any stars for me, but it was just something that I've always noticed and kind of had a little bit of an issue with, but you know, if it doesn't bother, you know, maybe it's just me, but it was just something that I've always wondered if how do they see the gun kind of thing. Now, I do love the resolution of this car chase when uh, Riggs gets thrown off and there's uh, the car crashes and the other one goes through and then the surfboard hits the guy's face. That was just really funny. I mean, of course, they don't show it. You got to use your imagination, but it was funny. Now, I love when they go to the house. You know, they they have the backup and this is the first time that the guys, they uh, they meet Peter and then they meet uh, Arjun, and that's when they find out about the uh, diplomatic community. But I like this where you know, it was like Riggs, Martin Riggs. Yeah, how do you know who I am? You know, and uh, I, I like this this scene because I didn't know what diplomatic community was when I first saw this, but then I found out what it is. It's like seriously, man. It's like that's such bogus rules. You know, I'm not sure if diplomatic immunity has changed now in 2013, but. Uh, I, I like this concept, though, of making your bad guy untouchable. It definitely brings the threat level, as I mentioned before, to a whole new level and just kind of automatically makes the bad guys in Part 2 that much more, uh, I don't know, better than the guys in Part 1. And, of course, you know it's serious when the guy's like, you know, you couldn't even give me a parking ticket, you know. And then uh, Riggs meets uh, Rika, and they kind of hit it off right off the bat, but... You know, it, he's just upset because he can't do nothing. I love the captain. He goes, you know, you did all this damage. And, uh, you know, I, I have a guy in the morgue that has a surfboard where his face used to be. And then they find out that they brought Leo on for the whole thing. And the captain just kind of goes off. And I love the captain. He's just so funny. He's like the captain of Beverly Hills Cop, but way, way calmer. You know, it's like he's definitely on pills and he's able to manage his his problems. But, you know, as he said, I don't have an ulcer because I just don't give an F, you know. But I do like it when he gets irritated with the guys. And it's, he just has to walk off because he's just so frustrated. Now, of course, uh, these, right after that, uh, Murtaugh sits at his desk and the guys have rubbers all over. Gave him a rubber tree. And I don't know what it is, but I laugh so hard at this scene. But I only laugh when Murtaugh laughs. 
I don't laugh at any point. It's just the way Danny Glover's face looks, how he goes from complete disgust to just utter uh, appreciation and just laughter. I laugh with him every single time. And the and I think it's because Riggs says, well, you really are too old for this S, you know, and, and then, then he starts busting up laughing, you know, and it's really great, man. I just, I really dig that. It's funny because it's just, you know, cops busting each other, you know, busting each other's chops. It's good stuff. All right. So let's get to uh, my second favorite scene of the whole entire film. And that's the drive through scene. I don't know what it is, but I absolutely love this scene. And what's really cool is this becomes a running joke throughout the rest of the series. And that's the, they F you at the so-and-so. You know, they go through the drive-thru. Leo gets the wrong order and he goes, we got to go back. You know, I, I don't like tuna, you know. And they're like, yeah, we're not going back. He goes, you know why? It's because they F you at the drive-thru. And they, they know you're never going to go back and they F you this and they F you that. And it's just so hardcore and brass. But it's so funny. And the guys say, shut up. And then he'll use it again in number three, which I think in number three is the best use of the they F you scene. I love it. And then in number four, I think Chris Rock joins in on the they F you here. So, oh, man, those are by far the best Leo stuff. It it puts it, man, it narrows him down to a T. That's Leo, man. It's just he's so funny, uh, but he's so angry. And it's just such good times, man. I just... I don't know. All I can say is I just love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. It's just so good, so funny. And I always hated watching this crap on TV because they're like, they freak you in the drive-thru and they freak you here. I can't remember. They they used some lame word. I don't even think it was freak. It's like they, they frit you or something. I don't know. It was lame. It was stupid. But I just love watching the real version. And then shortly after that comes my favorite scene of the whole film. Now, arguably... I'm going to say this. This toilet scene is not only the best scene of Lethal Weapon 2, this is the best scene of the whole entire series. No other scene tops this scene. Let me explain why. So here's the deal, the toilet scene. Okay, so uh, Murtaugh, this is the first time, I think he said in like 10 years, he's had the bathroom to himself because, you know, um... Riggs gets the call that, you know, where's Murtaugh? We haven't heard from him. He goes to investigate and, and Leo and, and Riggs are like, they, they go in the house and he's like, I'm up here. Riggs scopes the house up and he sees him on the toilet. He's kind of freaking out and he just doesn't know what's up. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's first time in 10 years. I've had the whole house to myself, you know, and, and then he's like, oh, is that the new fishing magazine? You know, Riggs is trying to play cool because he kind of thinks Riggs maybe or Murtaugh might be off of his rocker a little bit. And then he sees the toilet paper. Boom, you're dead. He goes, oh, is that it? Man, you scared the S out of me. I scared you. And that's when uh, he investigates the bomb. Leo walks in and he's like, okay, okay, okay. And he leaves and he goes, please tell me I'm not effed. And he goes, you're effed. And he goes, okay, so we got to get the bomb squad. You know, and he's like, just keep it quiet, you know, and I will. And then you see a whole bunch of people are there. And then, of course, actually, I take it back. The psychiatrist shows up and she's like, there's nothing I haven't seen before. And then the guys joke with her and she walks in the bathroom. He pulls up the towel to show her his legs. And then uh, Riggs crosses his eyes, hits his head. He starts laughing. She walks away. 
it's just really great. And what's really cool is, is the main guy of the bomb squad is the teacher and just one of the guys. So it's so cool. But here's why this is the best scene of the whole entire series. The guy tells Riggs that he has to leave. Riggs says no. The guy tells him he has to leave again. He's And he just looks at him. He's like, fine. So when the guys are all alone and uh, and they're sitting there and they're like alone at last. And he goes, you know, why couldn't it have been in Trish's uh, oven? He goes, yeah, you know, it would have saved us uh, so much trouble. We would have died of that. And they just start laughing. And, and the laughing then turns into, I'm going to die in the toilet. He goes, guys like you don't die in toilets. And I don't plan on going anytime soon. So clearly uh, Riggs has come. Uh, he's no longer suicidal. So his character has, has completely turned around. And they, they hold each other's hands. And the best part is the I love you talk. But it's the I love you talk that you never say to one another. This scene is so deep, man. This tells you how far they have come, not only as partners, but as friends. These two, they're not partners. They're not friends. They're brothers, okay? They're brothers from another mother. I mean, they have gone through so much together. And the best part is he's like, you know, uh, Riggs, and then they don't say nothing. The music hits, and he's just like, I know, I know. And he goes, I mean it, man. So it's like, he's like, I said, I love you, man. He goes, I know you do, right back at you. It's like, we're not going to die today, man. And it's just so flipping moving. I love this scene. I can't express words on how awesome this scene is. It's so deep, man. It's so good. And this, to me, man, is the perfect I love you moment between two guys. I'm just going to say right then and there, I don't care what movie it is, and two guys that are, like, straight, and they say I love you to each other, nothing beats this scene. This is the best, hands down. It'll never be topped. That's all I got to say. But, of course, it's uh, the one, two, three talk, and, uh, you know, one, two, three, jumps off the toilet, it blows up. And uh, it's such a good scene. Man, get off me, man, before anybody comes in here. It's just an awesome scene. The best scene of the whole entire series, hands down. All right, so right after this is a super funny scene. And, you know, the guys are harassing harassing them. And uh, and Leo and Murtaugh, they go in and they're going to talk to this guy about going to South Africa. And I just love the talk where he's like, but but you're black. He goes, of course I'm black. And that's when Murtaugh's like, you know, oppress the people. And you see Leo just like repeated everything he says. And then he goes, you dumb son of a bee. And, he's, and then Leo's like, you dumb son of a bee. And he gets thrown out. It's like, that. I love that scene. It's hilarious. It's good times. And it's just a distraction. So that way Riggs can get in. Of course, he laughs his head off. But I just love how this whole scene plays out. It's so awesome. Now, this uh, this confrontation scene is great. This is where Riggs goes in. And now we kind of get the old school Riggs. You know, Riggs had some crazy moments in this film, like in the beginning of the film and, and various things. But this is the old school, you know, crazy Riggs where he's like, you know, you probably haven't heard things about me, but he's like, you know, he's just, he's going in there knowing that these dudes have guns and he doesn't care. Now, here's what's amazing about this scene that I really never noticed before. And uh, 
he tells them, you know, get out of my country and I'll leave you alone. Otherwise, I'm going to F you up real good. And then uh, the main bad guy, uh, Arjun, he starts to talk kind of smack to Riggs. But Riggs doesn't snap until he says Kaffa lover, which essentially is like slang for, you know, saying he's a lover of black people. That's what makes Riggs snap. I love that, man. Because you know what? Riggs Riggs and Murtaugh, they're not about like, you're black, you're white. You know, it's like, you're my brother, man. It's like, you're my family. You know, it's like, I, I so am with Riggs on that. Because my best friend's a black guy, man. And it's like, me and him, we don't ever do any sort of like, uh, it's just it's natural, you know, just to be around each other and just to be around each other's different lifestyles. And it's just fun. It's diverse. It's great. And it's awesome to see that Riggs doesn't snap on anything until he talks bad about Murtaugh. And the fact that he called Murtaugh slang is what pissed him off and made him shoot out uh, the fish tank. And that was awesome, man. Because, you know, as a kid, you don't really realize what the guy's saying. But this time, it's like, whoa, that's why Riggs snapped because you just made fun of his bro, man. You don't do that. You know, and that was great. That's why I love how he blows out the fish tank. It's like, you know what? You make, you make an, uh, you know, slang in my brother. We'll take this. Bam. You know, it was great. So I love that scene. It was awesome. All right, now let's talk about uh, Rika here. Now Rika is uh, is you know Riggs's woman in this movie. Now I like her character in this film because it shows you how he's come to terms with Vicky dying, and he's kind of moving on. You know, he still has his wedding ring on, but he still has gr- he's still going off the great memories he has of her. Uh, he's not uh, dying inside, if you will. Now. Uh, she's cool. She's definitely no Rene Russo because I love Rene Russo in three and four. I would say that uh, she's uh, probably a one thumb up versus a two thumb up for a character. She's not bad. Uh, she's not like uh, you know feasible or just there. She's good. She's good for the part that she plays. Uh, she was done well. I definitely don't have any issues with her. But she, you know, when I think of the strong female lead in this series, I think of Renee Russo. That's my girl. You know, she's essentially Miss. I mean, she becomes Miss Riggs, but she's really Riggs 2.0 versus Rika. You know, she's just a sweetheart and just you know, I mean, can easily be broken, obviously. So, but they definitely make you care enough for this character. So when she does die. It does bother you that she died. You're not like, oh, who cares? It's like, oh, man, Rika died, you know? But it's not like if Rene Russo's character died, then you would have been devastated. So there's a, there's definitely a difference between her versus Rene Russo. I know we're not there yet, but I'm just saying in comparison, that's kind of where she fits. So if you're going to say the weakest character of this movie, you could probably say it'd be her, and I wouldn't argue with you on that, but I don't really have any problems with her. All right, so uh, let's talk about where the movie takes a turn for the dark side. As we know in part one, uh, we had a shift in the tone of the movie where it turned to the dark side. We go to the dark side in this one. In the first movie, our heroes, they get tortured. In this movie, they kill the cops, man. Now, some of these cops, uh, one of the lady cops was in uh, Terminator 2. Uh, She was John Connor's uh, stepmom. And uh, there's another guy who's like in Transformers and stuff like that. So uh, a lot of these cops are recognizable, but uh, they start killing off the cops. And it's, you know, you're kind of like, wow, you know, because Murtaugh was actually supposed to be in that house that the guys blew up in. 
And it's just like a total WTF moment, if you will, of like, oh my gosh, now they're killing off all the cops. And it's like, okay, now you know you're going to the dark side. It's like there's always a twist in each movie where you're going to the dark side. And I love the captain's response. You know, all the guys are like, we lost this person, this person, this person. And the captain says the best line he could have. Let's worry about the guys that are still alive. You know, and it's like that's what an authority figure should do is, you know, be sympathetic, but still put your focus back to where it needs to be. And just the way his tone of voice was, he was sympathetic, but just said, let's let's worry about the ones that are still alive. You know, and give me rigs on the phone. That's a great captain, man. It's good stuff. So, all right. So I already talked about uh, Leo loving the commercial. I do like how that comes back into play. Uh, I do love when he goes back to the house and those guys are there and uh, Murtaugh's getting his butt kicked. He pulls out the nail gun. And, uh, you know, I love how the nail gun was introduced earlier in the film and now it's, you know, being used again. And it's just, there's a great one-liner after he takes out both of the guys and he's just like, nailed them both. That was pretty awesome. And then, of course, you get the flip side where you see Riggs, you know, he's uh, gets done, uh, you know, uh, having some fun with Rika and, uh, you know, they're done. Uh, and, of course, you know, you got to love how Sam, the dog, comes into play more in this film. You know, he was a little bit in part one, which there's something I wanted to bring up um, that I didn't bring up earlier. You know, in the first movie, Riggs has to, uh, you know, hire a prostitute to watch the Three Stooges, you know. And that's his thing. You know, you could tell that's easily his favorite show is the Three Stooges. Well, in this movie, you know, he has Sam sitting on the couch with them. They're both, uh, you know, eating popcorn and uh, he's watching the Three Stooges. It's like he's so much happier now and he's just, he's, you know, I'm not going to say he's complete, but now that he has Murtaugh's family in his life and he has a, a reason to live and he loves being a cop and he just loves what he does and he loves his dog, it's, it's just so nice to see the flip side of the coin to where he's just a happy you know just a happy person you know and i didn't when when you see sam it definitely reminds me of how he was in part one so that was something i forgot to bring up earlier and it was just so cool and when you see sam kind of warn uh rigs that uh the helicopters are out there you know i love the shootout scene it was pretty epic man it was good stuff lots of great action and i love his joking of like what are you doing saturday you know and it's just a, a great, fun first date to be with Riggs, right? So uh, I definitely dug the shootout scene. It was pretty awesome. And then, of course, it really changes things when uh, Riggs gets uh, hit on the head and uh, Peter tells him the real history of what happened to his wife. Now, when you go and you've dealt with, you know, you've dealt with the loss of your spouse, you know, and he's probably dealt with it for a while now. They don't, like I said, they don't tell you the difference of how long it's been between part one and part two. But, you know, he's taken the time to cope with this. Then you get a bombshell that now says, guess what? Your wife didn't die in an accident. She was murdered. I'm sorry, man. You are going to flip and... You know, you may have morals and beliefs and all that stuff, but that's going to be tossed out the window and you're going to want to kill that dude right then and there, man. I'm not saying that, you know, I would do that. I'm just saying, you know, hypothetically saying that's more than likely what you're going to do is you're going to snap officially when you just find out that it's no, it wasn't an accident. I'm the person that killed your spouse. Bam. You know, it's just, it's talk about a bombshell. It was just such an effective scene, man. And then, of course, him going in the water and dislocating his shoulder and finding Rika under there. 
And it's just so crazy. And the best part of this is the third best scene of the whole entire film is where he calls Murtaugh and just says, you know, I'm not a cop tonight. They killed him. They killed both of them. And Murtaugh is just trying to say, Riggs, Riggs, you got to come in. We're under orders, blah, 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 blah. And Riggs is just like, I'm not a cop tonight. And he goes, they killed them both. You don't understand. And then uh, Murtaugh throws in his badge. That's not the best part. The best part is when he cuts him off and he gets out the vehicle and Riggs gives him the look of like, I may love you and we've been through everything together. But if you try to stop me, I'm going to kill you. And he just says to him, yeah, I know that look in your He's like, don't try to stop me, Raj. He goes, I know that look in your eyes. And it's like he knows the worst side of Riggs because he's been there before. And what does he do? He fully supports him. That's just that's just the way these two are. That's why this is the best cop series there is because these two are, you know, two two peas in a pod, man. Can't have one without the other. And they're just like, I don't know, man, I I can't say it any better than just this is the third best scene of the film because it's just like that look exchange. I'm with you, brother. Let's go take him down. Balls to the walls kind of thing. Good stuff, man. It's just so awesome. Now, uh, you got to love the destruction of that house, man. It is kind of funny because uh, let's just say, you know, Riggs gives Murtaugh, hey, you know what? I'll give you a sign. You'll know when you see it, but it's kind of like he he's kind of playing with death because he knows that he has to take the house down, but he also knows that Murtaugh has to get in the house to get Leo and get out. There's no way that Riggs knew when he was getting out, so he was kind of playing with fire and taking the house down and hoping and praying he doesn't kill his friend and kill Leo, but it's just kind of is one of those moments that you kind of have to suspend your disbelief and just like you're so good that it worked out basically, you know, because it easily could have gone the wrong way a second or two earlier and bam, they would have been in the house when it was taken out. But it was a beautiful shot scene of that house just collapsing. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a model, but if it was, it was beautiful how it was done. And uh, I do love when they go to the to the docking station. You see Murtaugh loading his gun. I'll take two. You take one. No better yet. You take. Uh, I'll take one. You take two. You know that was real funny. Uh, but what I really dig is really Murtaugh is uncorruptible. They get inside the crate with the money and the vehicle, and he pulls out the money and he's like. You know, there's billions here. He goes, this money in my hand, I could send all three of my kids to college. And Riggs is just like, take it. He goes, nah, it's drug money. He goes, do something good with it. And just Murtaugh won't take the money, man. Even though it's drug money, even though nobody will probably ever know what happened, he's uncorruptible, man. And that's awesome. You know, it's just like, that's kind of the the awesome balance between these two is, uh, he, you know, he's not a goody good you know, uh, cop, he's, uh, he's willing to bend and break the rules, but he's still uncorruptible for certain things, which is pretty awesome. And I really dig and appreciate that. Okay. Now I do have a dumb question. Uh, this is kind of like my earlier thing with the gun. Um, how did the car explode? So the car goes out now, granted he had the lights on. So in my experience, when you have the lights on, the car won't start cause the battery's dead, but it's hard to say. I mean, this is a Mercedes. These things are built better than your typical average normal car, but it's fine that the lights were on the car started. I don't have a problem with that, but the car goes out and then it blows up. 
I mean, granted, they didn't show you how it blew up or, you know, if if Riggs shot it or something. I'm just curious. How did the vehicle explode? Um, Just something I've always questioned. I don't have, you know, like I said, I don't have an issue with it. It doesn't bring anything down for me. But it's just like kind of one of those nitpicks. I'm just like... How did it explode? I kind of need a little explanation on that. But this far into the film, who cares? Now, of course, I do love how uh, they're at the top. And he goes, you go first. And he goes, I- I'm not going to go first. I'm really too old for this S. And then Riggs just throws him down automatically. You go, I'll cover you. That was awesome. You know, I love how they're bringing back the, I'm too old for this crap. You know, it's just good times. And this whole fight between uh, Riggs and Peter, pretty, pretty brutal. And uh, even more brutal than the uh, Gary Busey fight. Uh, he gets stabbed in the leg, and I mean, this guy is beating the hell out of Riggs. Talk about kicking somebody when they're down. This guy is all about kicking Riggs in the face nonstop, and it's like, man, I mean, this guy, in a way, he's kind of a sissy because all he does is he attacks when Riggs is down, but even though Riggs gets up and they fight, he can definitely hold his own, though, and uh, I do like his fighting style. I like his movement. It's good stuff. But uh, like I said, talk about kicking somebody when they're down. But is this not the best death scene that you've ever seen where he drops the crate on him? It's like it, it comes down and it's almost in like slow motion where it crushes his body and then it collapses down. And then Riggs just kind of smiles. And then he gets shot. First time I saw this, I thought he was dead. I thought he was a goner. And then, of course, uh, you get uh, Mr. Big Cheese, uh, you know, Arjun in uh, – He's telling uh, Murtaugh, you know, diplomatic immunity. And then Murtaugh does the does the the cock to the neck, uh, goes all the way around. You know what's going to happen because every time he does that, he always gets his shot, shoots him in the head. It's just been revoked. And uh, this scene is touching, man, when, when uh, Murtaugh kind of stops and thinks that Riggs is dead. And uh, they have a moment. It's just like this condom scene is the same thing to where I don't laugh until uh, Murtaugh starts laughing. And he goes, you son of a bee. You made me think that you were going to die, you know, because he's telling him, you know, you're not dead until I tell you you're dead. You hear? You're not dead until I tell you. And uh, I just love it when, uh, you know, he's just like, you made me think you were going to die. He goes, are they dead? Are all the bad guys dead? They've been decaffeinated. And it's just they laugh together and then the movie ends. So as far as my rating goes on this film, man, I'm going 100% solid five stars, man. In my opinion, this movie is superior in every single way to the original film. You know, this movie is like Terminator 2. It is better in every way. This is one of those few sequels that kill the original film you know a lot of people say like godfather 2 you know even though i've never seen it uh, i definitely agree terminator 2 is leaps and bounds better than the first one this movie took uh the best of the best of part one expanded on it uh made things deeper you had uh better villains you had a better story uh, you had a uh, better chemistry between Riggs and Murtaugh. You had a deeper uh, relationship between these two characters. You introduced new characters that you actually enjoyed. And uh, it was just so the action, 
the 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 darkness turn just everything works better than the original film so even though this movie peaks the rest of the series doesn't go downhill it's just there's no way three and four can touch the top of mount everest it just falls a few feet below mount everest so part two is the best i mean uh, it's definitely a one-two punch lethal weapon one lethal weapon two if you don't even want to watch three and four that's fine but it'd be a shame because those two films do build off of number two but for me this film is better than number one uh, not only because it's my favorite but because it is a better film for those reasons so five stars very strong all the way one of the greatest sequels in the history of film there you go good time so that's what i have to say about lethal weapon 2 let's hear what the stl nation had to say All right, so for this episode, I only have one email, and that's fine. You know, I just did part one like two days ago, and uh, luckily John the John the Mailman uh, watched part two immediately after he watched part one and sent an email. So it's fine that I only have one just for next week. Uh, make sure you get your emails in for uh, number three, maybe if you want to write about number two. But here is what John the Mailman had to say. Hello, Mike. How's the family? Family's doing pretty good, sir. Uh, things are things are going pretty good over here. I'm excited to say. Uh, the Road to 100 continues with Lethal Weapon 2. I know I say this a lot, but Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 are a great one-two punch. The action is good and the partnership is stronger, and we meet our third man, Leo. Leo has some great lines, and it's so funny how he gets treated. The good addition, uh, It's a good addition for this movie. I love the straitjacket scene. It still freaks me out when he pops his shoulder. The fall from the window is insane. Still tons of fun to watch. The rubber plant tree is a funny joke. I love how Murtaugh starts to laugh at the end of the scene. And the toilet is still a cr- is still a crazy part. Good times. And let's not forget diplomatic immunity. It's just been revoked. Have a great show. John the Mailman considers email delivered. So thank you, sir, so much. Um, dude, I'm so glad you wrote in because this would have been the first episode where I had no emails. But it's cool. Like I said, I wanted to get this episode out as soon as I could. So uh, you guys will have plenty of time for part three so that is it uh, for our emails guys uh, let's roll into the music spotlight All right, guys, I got a really good music spotlight for you today. So, you know, I was kind of thinking, okay, I definitely got to pull a new jam in. I got to try to find a new song. There's definitely a new song that I heard that I really liked, but I was like, eh, I don't know. This one just fits. And as you guys know, I've kind of been listening to some older stuff and, and some newer stuff. And on the last episode, I did some Green Day Boulevard of Broken Dreams. It's definitely a, a newer kind of song. It's uh, a song that was played a lot and then kind of got overkilled on the radio. 
video and I thought it was a good time to bring back. Same thing I'm doing with this one. And this one kind of relates to next week. And I'm picking the uh, the best Evanescence song there is, Bring Me to Life. And here's the reason why I'm picking this one. So you guys have heard this song all over the radio. Uh, it, it was played numerous times all over MTV. I mean, it really blew up Evanescence and uh, and they became huge. That this song was killed, overkilled on radio, and then it just kind of disappeared. But the reason why I'm bringing this back is I love this song. And number two, uh, the guy in this song is uh, Paul McCoy from 12 Stones. So you guys know some 12 Stones. Uh, you know, you guys heard Infected from the uh, Zombieland episode, you know, last uh, Underground Hour. You know, they were the slow jam of the episode. You've heard Kiss from a Rose. But as you know, the next Underground Hour episode is the themed episode dedicated to 12 Stones, where I'm going to be playing 12 tracks from my third favorite band. And, and I think they are the most underrated band out there. And uh, this is kind of a great way to where you already know who 12 Stones is because you've heard this song. And if you haven't, you know, you kind of get introduced to how everybody pretty much got introduced to 12 Stones. And that was from this song because these two were on the same record label and they needed a guy to uh, do this part. And uh, he offered his services and it helped get 12 Stone exposure. And he also won a Grammy for this performance. So I'm going to end it with uh, Bring Me to Life, Evanescence. And then next week, the next episode you will get will be the 12 Stones um, episode for the Underground Hour. That won't be until late next week. Uh, and then shortly after that, like a day or two later, you'll get Lethal Weapon 3. So it's going to be some good time. So that's it, guys. Um, if you want to write in, you guys know the email, stlpodcast at gmail.com, sweepdelaypodcastyahoo.com, um, or, or stlpodcast at gmail.com, sweepdelaypodcast at yahoo.com. I do have some cool news for you. I do have a new app uh, on the Facebook page. If you have an iPhone, uh, you can now make STL an app. It's pretty awesome. All you do is you uh, follow the link, and then you open the link in Safari, and then at the bottom of the screen, there's like a box with uh, kind of an arrow coming out of it. You hit that. It'll say add to home screen. You add it to the home screen. It becomes an app. And then you can listen to STL on your iPhone through the app. It's pretty awesome. And it's free, of course. It's a pretty cool feature. I really dig it. So I believe it also works for the iPad as well. It's pretty awesome. I dig it. So that's it for the episode, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. I had a blast talking about Lethal Weapon 2, and I'm excited about Part 3. I haven't seen Part 3 in a very long time, and uh, for me, Part 3 is the weakest of the series, so I'm interested to see if I have some new love for it, and I kind of think it's better than what I think it is. So uh, I'm excited to go there and talk this film. So I will catch you guys next week, and uh, you guys take care. Missouna South.